0: Hey everyone, and thanks for listening. Today I'm speaking with Tom Hakohen, CEO and founder of Six, a webhooks as a service platform that's raised 10.5 million in funding. Tom, thanks for chatting with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. As I was doing my research for this interview, I saw that you started your career in the Israeli intelligence, so I'd love for us to begin there. What did you learn
1: from that experience? I guess I learned a lot, but like one thing in particular, I guess that's specific for this company that's relevant to the company, is in the army you have the chain of command, right? So You know, like if there's anything important, you have to go to your manager and then they go to their manager or rather commander, and then they go and they kind of like bubble it all the way up. And that's how the army works. That makes sense for a lot of stuff. You know, like, for example, if you're in the battlefield, you don't want a soldier to just like go rogue on their own. You have to have this kind of like organization. But in the intelligence core, like one thing that they have that's like very unique is that if you feel like you have some sort of like an intelligent, you know, like a nugget of information that needs to bubble up. You could just skip the whole chain of command. You can go all the way up as fast as you want in order to, you know, to have the army act quickly enough on that. And I think that's, you know, we're still flat at Swix, but it's something I tell people all the time, like I should never be the bottleneck. So just like speak, you know, just like go as quickly as you can, bubble information up. And I think this is like a great learning uh, from there. So you leave the intelligence community in
0: in 2010. What's going on inside your mind at that time? Are you thinking, okay, I'll probably start a company someday. I'm going to go work at Samsung, learn the ropes and go start a company. Or what was your state of mind at that time?
1: Oh, wow. That's a long time ago. Yeah. So I I was doing a few things. I was considering like being a hacker for the Israeli government at some point. Like I, I had a job offer for that So kind of like the Israeli CIA. But also I had like a job offer for Samsung. And I was thinking and I'm just, Samsung made more sense uh, for me. And that's why I went for that. And actually, I did want to start a company. and But I asked like one of my mentors at the time. And he's just like, man, you're so young. Get a job. First earn some money. You know, that's not kind of like uh, tips as a waiter. And kind of like then, you know, then lay out your plans. Yeah, so definitely want to start a startup. But I had a quick detour there. It's two pretty intense options and two very different yeah. <laughs> go down in life here. Join the Israeli
0: CIA or yeah. work at Samsung. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I think I think I made the right choice. Yeah. I don't think I would have stayed long at the government, uh, to be honest. It's less my thing. When it comes to
0: inspiration, are there any founders that you really admire and, and look up to and you see the
1: company they built to say, you know, yeah, I want to build a company like that or build a company in that way? You know, there's a saying I like which is from all my teachers I have learned. I learned much from my teachers, more from my colleagues and most from my students. And I really like live by it. And I learned from so many people every day. So you can, you can see like some of the success stories, obviously, you know, like, you know, Musk, business jobs, whatever, they build amazing companies. There's a lot to learn from there. But also there's kind of like a distance between us as individuals that don't know them and the truth. While with my peers, I really get to see the dirty, dirty reality and like, really understand what's going on. And I think that's, I learned so much from them. and and you know, if to kind of like call out something specifically that I've learned, like give you one example, is that you know your company best. So it's very tempting to ask you know like we have amazing investors, so like ask them for advice, and we do. And it's very tempting to ask them, like and you know, ask other successful founders for advice. and that's great. But you have to understand at the end of the day, it's your business, it's your company, and you have to make the decisions. You cannot let anyone else make the decision because they don't have the context. And I think that's something I learned from like another founder that I found very important, profound. Mm-hmm. Super interesting.
0: What about books and the way we like to frame this, it, it comes from an author named Ryan Holiday, he calls them quick books. So a quick book is a book that like rocks you to your core. It really influences how you think about the world and how you approach life. Do any quick books come to mind?
1: I mean, OK, this is not really a book, but I'm going to say it anyway. So and I know it's going to sound silly. When I was young, I watched this like anime called Naruto, and it really changed my life. The The, the concept there was they kind of like, did a comparison between someone that's like a genius, so kind of like someone that was just born with a lot of talent versus someone that was, you know, essentially an idiot, like lacks any skills, but like he was a very hard worker. And they, they, they kind of like they had like this very strong theme. And I think from that at a young age that left a strong impression to understand that even though genius gets you a long way and you know it was like i had like a fairly easy time at school if you don't put in the work you're very easily capped essentially and like hard work has like an infinite potential and genius only gets you what you were born with the kind of like the hand you dealt versus what you built and i think that left a long impression on me but i can also throw in like i like Shudo. but that's a good <laughs> good book but i don't know if that's really what you're looking for <laughs> I like, you know,
0: I like hearing different answers. And I, uh, you know, the, the first one, the anime, I, I've never heard someone talk about that. I have definitely heard people talk about TV shows and the influence it's had on their lives early on. And you know, a lot of times they're like these random TV shows that you'd watch as a kid. So that makes perfect sense. And then of course, Shoe Dog is a, is a classic. Have you seen uh, the new Nike movie, Air?
1: No, I have not. Oh my God. Where is it?
0: I don't know. I actually saw it in theaters. So it's like good oh. enough to make me go to an actual movie theater. But if, that was like back in May. So it's probably been released by now, but it's it's really, really good. It, it focuses on kind of the, uh, like the Michael Jordan part of Nike's journey. It's not necessarily like Nike's story specifically. It's more about Michael Jordan and yet the role he played in shaping Nike, but it's a fascinating movie. And I think you'll like it if you like the book.
1: No, 100%. And actually, I only watched uh, The Last Dance like a few months ago. And so this is also very topical for me, so that would be a good like sequel.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. The last dance is so good. I loved it. Let's switch gears. Now let's talk a bit more about Sphinx. So how we like to start this part of the interview is focusing on the
1: problem and talking about the problem. So at a high level, what problem are you solving? Yeah. People want to send webhooks and we make it easy. And that's really that. So I kind of like, I sometimes call it like Twilio, but for webhooks. You know, there are different aspects to that. So first of all, there is the how long does it take you between like going for like wanting to have webhooks to actually hit in production. So kind of like the, the initial initial build time. And then there's kind of like the maintenance around it. So like how how much time do you spend maintaining the infrastructure or building features and you know kind of like fixing bugs and whatever. And then the last part is at the end of the day, like webhooks are not your differentiator. So they're gonna be this semi neglected piece of infrastructure on your end. And we keep on improving it and like maintaining it. And so you're gonna like, you're gonna get like better features for your customers. So that's kind of like the the three setting points that we have. And take us back to the
0: early days in 2021. What was it about this problem that made you say, yep, that's it. I'm going to go build a company around this. Cause I'm sure you had a lot of different problems in your head. If you're like most founders, you probably have a list somewhere buried on your phone or on a notepad somewhere. Why this problem?
1: Yeah. I mean, for whatever it's worth my list, is terrible. Like, I mean, I have a very long list. I don't think I would have worked on any of those problems. But with this one, I can tell you how it started. And it's actually like an interesting story. So I was working on a different company. It actually still exists, like runs on the side. And, you know, it's like, that's the beauty of of self-serve SaaS and especially consumer. There's not like a lot of maintenance involved. And people kept on asking us for webhooks. And we kind of like, you know, we were very resource constrained. So like I did the math and just like, okay, that's gonna essentially what I told you about, like our value prop. Right. I mean, it's gonna take us like so much time to build it. And then like, after that, we need to maintain that. That's like also a pain in the ass. There's no way we're gonna do it. And also we have this like beautiful API. There's no way we're gonna have a terrible experience. Like terrible webhooks experience. So kind of like multiply the first two estimates by like two X or three X. So all of that kind of made it that we, we never built webhooks and I wish I was able to say that I was smart enough at this point to realize that there's a build there, uh, but I wasn't. <laughs> so I, I didn't do anything about this. Uh, but it was a few months later that someone I know asked a silly question about webhooks in a Slack we're both members of. And I kind of like jumped in and I'm just like, started to like explain to her exactly, you know, kind of like, what's this, what's that, how to do this. And like halfway through, I realized she that actually doesn't care at all. Like all she wants is to send webhooks. She does not want to understand any of this. And I'm just like, huh, if I build it for you as a product, will you pay me? And she's just like yeah and then like someone else chimed in and was like yeah we'll pay you as well and then someone else like jumped in and said like well you know we don't actually send webhooks yet but at my previous company it was a massive pain happy to connect you and i'm just like okay let's let's give it a go and that's kind of like how it started so did you have product market fit right away then oh uh, you know like maybe i guess but with product market fit i was so slow to claim that thing to claim that threshold because it's such it's so amorphous, right? I mean, like no one really can tell you what it is. It's kind of like love. And it takes you a lot of time to say, I love you just because you want to be extra ex- sure. So so maybe, I never thought about it, but maybe.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting to hear how founders answer that. Some, you know, have a clear answer of like yes or no. And a lot of founders, I would say the majority say, they still don't have product market fit. Um, and that can be companies that are, you know, worth billions of dollars or unicorn startups where they say that it's this like never ending thing. You never quite have product market fit. Because the market's dynamic it's always shifting so it's interesting to hear just how different founders think about product market fit
1: yeah i mean actually i had a chat with a founder you know two weeks ago and he mentioned that like they gained product market fit and then they lost it and they gained it again and then they lost it so it, it definitely is dynamic
0: what have you learned so far about you know finding or just building a product that people love what are some of those lessons
1: that you've learned I guess really focus on the customer. And and you know, like this is like the most generic example that I'm sure like the most generic answer that I can give. And I'm sure like everyone says that all the time, but let me maybe elaborate what I mean by that. You know, a lot of people obsess about the customer when they do that, they kind of think what the customer would want and kind of like build it for them or like ask them and build it for them all the time. And we don't do any of that. I mean, we do that as well, but like what we do is we try to build like extreme empathy. And that means saying to customers, no, like, hey, you know, kind of like, almost like being a parent, like we, it's not good for you. Trust us, like you don't want that. And um, like what you want is something else. And okay, I'll give you an example. Like we are very quick with customer support uh, questions. Like I think most of our Slack messages get responsive in like under five seconds. I mean, obviously not the full on response, but kind of like a quick response. And the reason for that is that I know how it is on, to be on the other end, right? I mean, like you send someone a message and then there's crickets for like five hours. That's not fun. So we really want to try to feel that customer pain in everything that we do. And just like, oh, you know, kind of like the golden rule, don't do the others. What, um, what you don't want done to you kind of thing. So really just that. Where do you stand today in terms of growth? Are there any numbers you can tease us with? Yeah. We don't share metrics outside of the company, but I can tell you that it's good, but we always want more, right? I'm never going to be uh, satisfied. So
0: what are you doing to you know, be able to answer that from like a marketing perspective? What are you doing to rise above all the noise that's out there?
1: It's different for every company, I'm sure. But like for us, if I have to point on one thing specific it would be consistency. We just show up every day and focus on what matters, which is like our customers, our product, being fast and you know, like responding, being reliable, and really just like doing that day in, day out and not worrying about the noise. Not like trying, you know, like for example, we did we did a product on launch once and it was such a distraction because you have to do so much for it. It's like a popularity contest. You have to like, you know, engage everyone to vote for you and all of that. And just like, That's not us. Like we don't try to rise above the noise in that way. We just like go and show up every day. And actually, actually, you know what, that reminds me of another book. So there's like this book, Siddhartha, I guess, like the name of the Buddha. I don't remember, like by Hermann Hesse or S Hess, I'm probably botching his name. But in that book, they had like this mantra of saying like, oh, you know, I can do three things very well. I think I wait and I can fast. And I think kind of like, that is like a good way of of thinking about it, which is kind of like, okay, what do we do well? So we build product, we listen to customers, and you know, we're, not, we're just consistent, we're just consistent. And we're just like doing that day in, day out, I think like bears fruits. It definitely did in that book, <laughs> but I think for us as well, yeah.
0: <laughs> nice, I haven't read that book, but I'll, uh, I'll check it out and I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah, it's very short. So I don't remember how many pages, but it's a quick read.
0: Nice. When it comes to your messaging and your positioning in the market, have you seen that evolve a lot
1: over the last year or two? Oh yeah. All the time, like literally all the time. And you know, I don't want to say like we learn something profound about a customer like every day, but we do learn about our customers every day. And we kind of like, we see the nuance of like what they say and our messaging evolves with that. So we hear something we kind of like internalize it and then we put it back in our messaging. How involved are you in marketing? Oh, very. Yeah, I work with a marketing guy like every day. How would you summarize your marketing philosophy? I guess add value. We've avoided doing, you know, random kind of like a one-time guerrilla campaign that kind of like pops out and then kind of like fades away. We just like try to consistently add value.
0: How do you measure the impact of that? Cause I, I totally agree. And that very much aligns with my marketing philosophy. What I see a lot in my conversations with founders and sometimes with CMOs is you know, they resist actually implementing that idea of adding value or they, I guess, screw up adding value because they try to do lead captures and they try to measure everything and you ask questions about measuring things and then all of a sudden it you know, confuses things a bit and makes it
1: difficult to add value. How do you think about measuring the impact of adding value? Okay, so this is like one of <laughs> such a, you know, a hard question. I mean, we have a rent gap for sure. Like we mostly don't know the impact of what we do. Right. But it just goes back to are like our values and what we think, you know, what we think we are, who we think we are, and how we think our customers, again, like empathizing with our customers, like would perceive this. And we just, yeah, it's a massively lagging indicator, but we just hope it works, like in many of those aspects. Obviously, we have like, you know, like SEO optimizations and stuff like that that are easier to measure. But really, in the general sense, it's just like how we perceive other companies, you know, like Flight.io did it brilliantly for the longest time, you know, just like every time they would write something, we would hit an I can use and would start like an amazing discussion around their product. And so I think that's a great example. I'm sure for them, they also have the metrics to support it. But I think, you know, just being consistent around that really goes a long way.
0: Yeah, the way I like to think about it, I always tell either founders or CMOs to do a little exercise and go reflect on the last five big B2B purchases that you made and walk through that journey that you went through. And it mostly always started off with some type of content that added massive value to you in some way. And then that's where you enter into the funnel. That's the majority of purchases do begin that way for most people that I've talked to, I've found that to be very helpful for those who don't have the philosophy built out in the way that, that you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is a great exercise. I 100% agree. Yeah. Do you
0: have any other exercises like that, that you guys do internally to really try to dial down your
1: messaging, your positioning and just marketing in general? I think really, no, just like really empathizing with customers. That's the main thing. Like always, how would a customer feel? How would that be perceived? Is that, does that align to our values? Those are the main things that we go, we go by. Yeah.
0: What about putting yourself out there as the founder? So, as I was doing prep for this, I saw there's a bunch of podcasts. There's a lot of content out there. You, you very much put yourself out there. What are your views when it comes to the
1: impact of founder branding? Yeah. So, I think you know one of the best examples of this is Guillermo from like Versell, right? I mean, I think more people know Guillermo than they know Vercel. and that's like that really worked out for them. So that I think can do wonders, and that's something we definitely focus on like me, you know, me doing the work. And I think also on social media, you know, you don't, you don't really follow brands as much. You do, you do, you do follow people and you do, you know, you kind of like reshare from people, you engage with people, less so with brands. So I think that's an important part of it, hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of people that I follow, but like you said, there's there are very few B2B brands that I, I care to follow in the world, but lots exactly. of founders, lots of marketers, lots of investors that I, uh, I do find interesting.
1: Yeah. hundred percent.
0: When it comes to market categories, what's your thinking there? Is webhooks the category? Is it webhooks as a service as the category or something completely different that I didn't mention there?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's always kind of like the multi-step part of it, I guess. So like definitely our category is like webhooks as a service, which is kind of like the category that we created, but we fit into, you know, that's like a subcategory of like a larger category, which would be like maybe communication tools, or maybe that would be like developer tools. So I really see, I see us as kind of like the Kings of the category that we created under this like larger and larger category. And from the
0: language that you're using, I'm, I'm guessing you've read play bigger. No, no, <laughs> they use like no. category Kings and, the, and
1: that type of phrase there. That's kind of like, goes back to your question about books earlier, probably mm-hmm. by osmosis. I've like read so many books and so many articles over the years. So that's probably kind of like chat GPT Sinichino from like, from that, <laughs> uh, from that time. But yeah, go ahead. Tell me more. I'm curious.
0: Yeah, it's just this idea of category creation. So it's, you know, being intentional about the category that you're going to be within. And the idea there is that if you define a category, you're well positioned to dominate the category and then go on to become category king that dominates and you know, wins most of that category. So what I would like to ask there is, you know, if that was an intentional strategy, if it was accidental. And for you, it sounds like you almost accidentally have a category strategy.
1: Yeah. I mean, we didn't have a choice right this category did not exist and then we created it and then we had to like convince people that it's a category right so it's kind of like we had to we had to go through that process wanted or not right we didn't it just like yeah it was day by day we just went by it
0: yeah that has to be the most organic and best approach when it comes to category if it's you know, you're you're doing all of this stuff on accident because you need to and there's not really an option then that feels like a, a real category creation play a lot of times you know there's category creation plays where they're trying to like for something, they're doing category creation because it sounds sexy and it it sounds cool, but it sounds like there was no other option for you guys. You had to go out and create your own market here.
1: Yeah, but I I wish I read the guide before. (laughs) I wish we had this conversation uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah,
0: (laughs) It's a good book. uh, Yeah, it's called Play Bigger, and it's like kind of like the Bible for this idea of category creation and and category design. And it's written in a very fun way. They're, uh, They're not like these typical like corporate kind of like boring marketing books or business books. No, I mean, uh, I'm going to add it to my list. Nice. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised 10.5 million to date. What have you learned about
1: fundraising throughout this journey? Let me maybe phrase it differently, kind of like advice that I would give. And you know, like it's always survivors bias and like, you know, I don't, I don't really know, but it's kind of like one thing that I would do again is just know that you don't need to raise to succeed. So kind of like when we raised our first round, I knew that, you know, I'm an engineer, I can build stuff, I know how to sell, so I can sell stuff, so worst case, if we raise zero dollars, I'm just gonna build the product anyway. And we're just gonna continue from there. And that kind of like gave me so much leverage and confidence with investors because I didn't need them. So I only chose the investors I wanted to chat with and I stopped chatting with investors I didn't like. And then really kind of like gave me the confidence to also build a relationship rather than being this timid, you know, like rather than begging them for money. And that was also the same thing for the second round that we did, which we had a lot of money in the bank. We had like money coming in and we had like really good customers. And we had like other investors knocking on the door. So it just, you know, like worst case, we can bootstrap from here on, right? We don't don't need to raise. So it also, again, gave us the confidence. I think that's one thing.
0: I'm sure you see it a lot and something that I see a lot where being a founder is, you know, kind of glamorized and it it looks cool if you're on the outside and it gets celebrated in the media and all of these types of stories. but. What I've seen there, there's, there's a lot of low points in the journey. What's the lowest point that you've experienced so far and how'd you overcome it and how do you navigate it?
1: You know, I don't know if I have a specific low points, but they're like, there's just like so many highs and so many lows on the time. So like I have to choose one of the lows, but my system for this has been just to build immunity to both. So you don't want to rest on your laurels when things are going well. And you also don't want to get depressed when things are going poorly. So again, just like you have to like this, like fun area in the middle where you just like always stay and just like again be consistent and execute. And I think it's kind of like a marathon in a way as well. Like signing a startup. So like, you know, when you run a marathon, you probably like, you know, 10 miles in, you tell yourself, you know, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I doing this? I have like so many, you know, so much more to run. Like why the hell? And then like 20 miles in, you also tell yourself, like, should I maybe stop? Maybe should I be like get some food, get some drinks, maybe like have a seat. But if it's your passion, you just like don't stop, right? You just keep on running, and I think it's kind of like the same thing. Like if you get tempted to like sit down or like have some food or like stop the run, you gotta stop the run. Like you have to. Oh, at least I have. What what I did is like just eliminate the highs and the lows. I mean, they're still there. They still affect me, but I try hard not to. Are you a runner? Uh, no, I hate running. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it's kind of like for me. I, I think marathon is maybe like a good example. I was like thinking more like weightlifting, which is one one mm-hmm. I like. Yeah, are you a yes. runner? I am a runner. <laughs> yeah. And what you described is, uh, is very accurate. So that's why I was curious. But
0: yeah, that's uh, yeah, like the mental psychology that you go through on a run is, uh, is very well described for you not
1: being a runner. No, but again, it's, it's like lifting weights. So you push the weights. You're like, why am I doing this? Like Why am I pushing this weight for the 10th time? And, like, I should really stop at eight. And like, you know, like, no, I said I'm going to do eight. And I'm gonna, like, uh, I said, I'm going to do 10. And I like doing 10. So like, I'm just going to, you know, keep on pushing. So I'm, <laughs> glad to, I'm glad to hear my analogy wasn't bad. So yeah, yeah not, not bad at all. Not bad at all.
0: Now, let's imagine, you know, based on everything you've learned so far that you were starting the company again today from scratch.
1: What would be the number one piece of advice that you'd give to yourself? I guess the first one would be, I have like two parts, I guess. It's like the same advice essentially. So I'm a solo founder and I saw myself being reactionary quite a lot. And it's kind of like, you know, like legal, you have to like deal with legal stuff and you have to deal with the taxes and you have to deal with all of those things. So the first piece of advice is don't. Like just control your time. Don't be reactionary or like really be intentional about your time because otherwise it's very easy to work like crazy hours for like a few weeks and really like be tired from it. But I actually make any progress or any meaningful progress on the company. And kind of like the advice, I guess, is hire an ops person or an EA or chief of staff like really earlier than you would feel comfortable to do that. You know, we hired a chief of staff a few months ago and that's been life-changing for me and um, because like i have someone that really enjoys doing these things and really good at at them helping me out with those things uh which is yeah it's been life-changing amazing now final question for you
0: since we're almost up on time let's zoom out three to five years into the future what's the big picture vision
1: that you're building here yeah so it's kind of like you know we talked about the categories earlier and um, mm-hmm. so i guess like it's start going to you know to the upper category so at the moment, we do webhooks as a service and we help companies send webhooks, but what we're really doing here is we help services interact. And I think there are other ways of like how services interact that we can like help our customers support. We, I mean, we see it already. Like we see what our customers ask us for. And I think in the next like three to five years, we can like, continue expanding them and and like meet, meet our customers where they want us to be and like help them interact like in, in more ways. I love the vision.
0: All right, Tom, we'll have to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in that just wanna follow along with your journey from a, a company building perspective, where should they
1: go? Yeah, maybe either Twitter or, or LinkedIn or X, whatever. But like Twitter or LinkedIn, so like Toma Cohen at Twitter or I guess Toma as well on LinkedIn. Amazing. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. All right, keep in touch. Yeah, we will do.